Welcome to Inside Whitehall with me, James Starkey. And me, Jonathan Gullis. Today we're talking about a parliamentary group that many listeners may well have heard about, and particularly recently, the One Nation group of Conservatives. One Nation Conservatism has a very long tradition in the Conservative Party, but the One Nation group itself, I believe, was established a bit, bit more recently as a kind of formal group in the Parliamentary Party. And they, they seek to ensure that this tradition remains the same and have been quite influential in recent years, particularly in leadership contests. I think certainly around the battle, or battle if I want to call it that, but on Brexit. And then more recently as well uh, on the immigration debate. So still very relevant and a big role in the party in the past few years. And we're delighted that to talk us through this, we've got Matt Warman. Matt, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, Matt was a journalist, Mike, like some other previous guests. So in esteemed company with people like Michael Gove, who's been on the pod. So I think it's a good basis for which to come into Parliament, covering tech for the Daily Telegraph for about 15 years, I think. So you would have seen the rise of the tech bubble, the growth of the current social media giants and so on. And since entering Parliament, Matt's brought that brief with him and has covered science and tech, both on the select committee and at ministerial level. Thanks, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Matt, we always start on the pod just with a bit of background. I also think we know listeners kind of find it interesting. Some of the, a lot of people we have actually listening are students sort of looking at how to get into politics or journalism and the people we had on. So I just thought we'd start with why did you, you spent quite a long time in journalism. Why did you, when and why did you decide to get into politics itself, frontline politics? So I was, as you say, I was a journalist for quite a long time and I was covering a lot of stuff that was like really sort of off obviously at the time changing the world so the rise of facebook mm. getting everyone getting everyone physically connected to broadband uh google going from being a just a sort of really basic search engine the iphone becoming this mass deal all, all this stuff um and if i'm honest i sort of looked at it and thought parliament needs to pay more and better attention to it and got slightly frustrated that it was not in in some ways, I thought getting the attention it deserved, or getting the quality of attention that it deserved. So, so, so in a very niche way, I, I had that sort of massive arrogance that all politicians uh, share, which is to say, I can make a difference. Mm. Uh, and and I think uh, actually, um, if if I'm honest, uh, going from being the person who was, in, to take broadband as an example, sort of banging on about it week in week out as a columnist, saying this really matters, this is what we should do, this is what we should do, and then suddenly being, or relatively suddenly being given the brief, like okay, go on then, um, was I mean it was it was a huge privilege in lots of ways, but it was also it does make you realise that uh, commentary is easy and action is difficult, mm. <laughs> um, and and really getting the sense of that in, in in a really palpable way was sort of as I say huge privilege, but also sort of humbling in the best possible way. Mike, I think Michael said something like that, which was basically, well, he, he, I think the way he put it is, you know, he spent a lot of time commentating and felt actually maybe I should get involved. Was, was it a little bit of, not not in any critical way, but a little bit of maybe I've got something to add to this. There's this kind of, because it, it, you know, you would have seen the, re, you know, that ten year period, I guess, was the real rise of those what we would now they're, they're now the biggest companies yeah, in the world. Yeah, absolutely, and and I was really conscious that. I was frustrated with just writing about it. Like you feel like you've got a ringside seat, but you're not in the ring. Mm. Um, and I sort of toyed with, do I go and try and work for Google or Facebook or BT or, or, or whoever, or do I try and do this? And, and fundamentally, 
all the interesting decisions about this stuff and almost everything else are, are, are made here, right? If it's mm. hard enough to end up as a political decision, then that means it's important enough. And, and, and I think that was what I wanted to try and get my teeth into. And, and we're still like things like the online safety bill, sort of years in gestation. Mm. And, and by the time they actually come into force, sort of, then they're not out of date, but we've got new challenges to get to grips to as well, get to grips with as well. So I, there's plenty to be going on with. The one thing I would I would say, I guess, is that it's really tempting to think of tech as this niche that is sort of people do that, whereas actually what you want is everywhere from the home office to any to DHSC or wherever to think of themselves as absolutely enmeshed with this stuff. Mm. So so I, I I do sort of I suppose get slightly frustrated that so you, people get pigeonholders education specialists or tech specialists or, or whatever and actually we all need to be a bit more uh, uh i mean we need to be polymaths yeah that's probably going on in the business world as well right yeah you know you can't you don't want a kind of tech team over there the yeah. whole business needs to be in it yeah and exactly. so how far out was it that you thought how long before becoming an mp did you realize you wanted to be an mp was it was it an ambition you harbored younger a lot of people we've spoken to do seem to have quite an early ambition, even if they do other things yeah. first. No, not not at all. I mean, I I looked at people who did debating at school and didn't really understand what the point was, uh, <laughs> really? and um, and uh, wrongly, completely wrongly, and certainly at university, like I was not. I went to Durham. I was not into into the union and mm. and all that sort of stuff. Um, but what I what I I suppose also. I was working at the Telegraph when we did the expenses scandal, and, and yeah, I was course. I was kept away from that sort of not in a not in a very sort of hard nosed painful way, but I was we they used to try and get uh, everyone sort of who was vaguely senior to go and do a shift in what they called the bunker, combing through the yeah. data and all that, um, and I I was not invited to do that um, partly because my Facebook profile at the time uh, had a picture that was me uh, standing next to david cameron which i think okay. that probably gave it away a bit um yeah. but um so, so it was kind of around then when i was like it it sort of wakes you up a bit to that sort of political possibility uh, and also kind of made you think of oh, these these guys over in westminster they turn out to be human beings and mm. very fallible and uh well i'm i'm human and fallible so maybe i could give it a go yeah so we've Spoken with Danny Miriam about the new Conservatives, mm -hmm. which is one of the more newer caucuses. Uh, the One Nation caucus, just a bit of background, when was it set up? Is there like a formal structure or, and what is its purpose within the parliamentary party here in Westminster? Yeah, so, so I, th I think sort of the members of the caucus would, would think of themselves as the moderate centre ground of the Tory party, would think of themselves as... So some people would sort of describe themselves as Cameroons, but that's not the, the the totality of it by any means. It's been around in its current form effectively since the big Brexit debates in, in, in lots of ways. Um, it's always been relatively informal and it's always been in some ways it's constrained by its size, which sounds like a sort of odd, odd way of putting it. But when there are, so there are currently 106 people in it, lots of those are in government, lots of those are... Uh, sort of across a relatively broad political spectrum. And so it's never, there's never been a whip, there's never been a sort of, uh, this This is the view and, and uh, get out if you don't, if you don't agree by any means. Uh, and, and I think in some ways that's why if the group has a reputation, it's of being a little bit, if 
not rolled over is, is quite the right word, but of perhaps being too flexible and too pragmatic for its own good to really be a sort of ERG style voice in, in the party. And I think that is in many ways a, a huge strength, like being being seen as people who are uh, not dogmatic about, about any, any one issue, I think is absolutely where I would want to pitch myself. I think what we're seeing on the immigration stuff at, at the moment is a toughening of where the group is. And I think that reflects the attitude of members rather than anything else. And I think it, I mean, it also reflects the importance of really big issues like international law and, and, and all that. But what it doesn't do is, I think, indicate that there is any lack of desire to get this stuff sorted out. I, I think we are, we're absolutely, I mean, you, you talk about the New Conservatives, all, 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 the, all those other groups. I think the reason, I'm jumping ahead slightly, but I think the reason you saw the result in the vote that, that you did the other day was because people are prepared to compromise in order to say, to say, look, we've got to get this stuff sorted out. It matters to everybody. And I think that kind of pragmatism, ironically, has always been at the heart of the One Nation kind. And what's really interesting, as you said, about the toughening in recent times, do you think for the One Nation caucus, it is more important they do start to operate a bit like some of these other groups by producing policy papers or sharing legal advice that they've received in order to remain relevant, but also to flex its muscle in part to hold government, if it's under a conservative leadership, to account in when it comes to policy making and decisions? So I think there's always going to be a, a spectrum, as I say, um, and there are always going to be members who produce policy papers that get sort of wider endorsement and, and all that. I don't think you'll see anytime soon a a one nation a sort of a policy paper on on any one thing but there is a there is a there is a statement of principles that when we had the last leadership contest we asked people to sign up to it now some some of the criticism of of that is that it's it's not motherhood and apple pie by any means but these are sort of fairly broad brush mm. principles it's quite it, it, it is very much sort of case-by-case, policy-by-policy, that you then start to say, okay, what does that mean in practice? And I think there has been a real desire within the group to be more um, muscular, if I I can put it like that. And and I think some of that is a reflection of of people on the other side being quite muscular, but also it's a reflection of the importance of the issues that we're dealing with. I was going to say, on some when I was kind of thinking about this uh, yesterday, and I looked at those statement of principles and I thought, to me, I would think there was kind of two ones that jumped out that might divide. And the rest, I would say, mm-hmm. pretty much any, certainly if you look at the new conservatives they could sign up to. There's one I think that's more around international law. Um, and there's kind of internationalism, like I think David Cameron described himself as um, a one world conservative. Mm. <clears throat> and that's maybe where there's a slight dividing line, 0.7%, those kinds of debates, perhaps. But the other ones, and so, and then I was kind of looking at people that describe themselves. So Theresa May, obviously, definitely, and I think very much still does, and maybe does fit into it, describes himself as a one nation conservative. Boris described himself as a one nation conservative. So it seemed it's broad brush enough to lay claim. And I wondered, as a group, like, you know, do you kind of accept that? You know, do you look at Boris and say, yes, actually, there were big parts of him that were one nation? Conservative, because I certainly think his time as mayor, you could say he, he was in many, in many yeah. ways. But I wonder, like, because with those principles, it's easy to lay claim to, yeah. to it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as I say, I think 
you can argue certainly that those principles are perhaps too wide to really exclude anybody mm. and, and the or, or exclude many people um the the aim the aim is not to exclude people it's to include people but you do have to you do have to i think have some things that are dividing lines oddly leveling up i i would say and i think lots of the group would say is sort of classic one nation yeah thing and yet uh it was as you say it was so firmly associated with with, with with the boris johnson premiership and it demonstrates that all of those families sort of the the so-called five families, and I guess the one the one nation is by definition the sixth. I don't know. Um, uh, is is that the, the overlap is huge, right? Yeah. Like, that there is a reason why we're all in one party, and mm. and that what that that is partly a function of first past the post, right? That like, in order to form a government, you need a big coalition of people, and there will inevitably be some disagreement. But that's not the same thing as saying you can't broadly get get round the same table and, and and i think looking at people and and saying look i don't think jonathan is ever going to end up in another political party for instance i think that we 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 can all agree on some fundamental things um john's nodding vigorously that's good uh <laughs> the, uh we, we we can all agree on, on, on some fundamental things and and sometimes we focus a bit too much on the different right? mm. so i th i guess uh, w within that vein do you think it's is it a healthy thing that we've got these groups because they maybe come to the fore. They do come to the fore, I would strongly argue, when we've got differences. So they came to the fore most during Brexit. And in the past year, we've seen the most over immigration, over yeah. specific points of it. You know, as you said, people feel they want to get it done. So therefore, like, are there, is it a healthy thing? We kind of touched on this when we spoke to Danny, I think, and he strongly defended and put it in terms of, you know, it's good to be putting forward ideas. Mm. And that, that is a healthy thing in a party. Do you, do you feel it's in an ideal world we wouldn't have to have these groups or? Yeah, I, I, I do on the one hand. On the other, I think it's also important that we're honest about our differences, that we can have those conversations because if you just pretend that everyone will sign up to every single word of every single current conservative policy, then A, you're never going to have any new ideas and of course we need those, but B, we're not we're not all drones, right? Mm. Much, much as people... Uh, out, out there, might in, 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 in what I suppose we could call the real world, um, uh, might imagine that's the case. It, it simply isn't, and I think being honest about those differences and having those conversations partly makes us more able to be in touch with the public, but also makes us more relatable. Like it's fundamentally being honest about those differences is an election-winning coalition, and there are some people that will uh, vote for me because they they like the look of. Uh, politicians at the other end of the conservative spectrum and they'll put up with me um, yeah. or, or vice versa, right? And, and and I think we have to acknowledge that there is huge strength in, in that family. Sometimes it boils over into people saying, well, you should be in a different political party. And, and yeah. I think you've got to, got to push back on that and say, look, what is it that you really think is that fundamental uh, line that means there has to be a break? Because I simply don't see one. And when you look at what happened under under Jeremy Corbyn to Labour, like that's your alternative. If you take this kind of excruciatingly purist approach, you, you break parties, and that isn't in anyone's interest. You end up with these things that are like a purity test, a shibboleth of if you don't believe this, you're not conservative. Or yeah, exactly. I think it's interesting Matt said that because I think especially in recent times, well, since I've been here with the issue of immigration, you've got those from 
the One Nation caucus, some who would say that those on the other end of the spectrum are far right. But then you've also got those on the right of the Tory party accusing the One Nations of being Lib Dems in disguise. And then that does ball over into anonymous briefings. It does end up mm. being talked about in the tea rooms. It does end up in spats yes. and on yeah, WhatsApp yeah. groups. And that's not healthy. I totally agree with Matt that for the parliamentary party, actually, as I think you said, James, I think 90% of the stuff we'd all probably sit down and agree mm. and new ones that 10% is around those kind of more trickier areas where, you know, maybe, maybe it's more malt house compromises are needed. Maybe we need to have kit permanently have all the families in one room. I shouldn't have used that because Danny and Miriam are going to kill me for using the family thing because <laughs> they, they hate it as, as do I, but get everyone in a room to like discuss these things in private and try and come to a middle ground because I think that is quite easily achievable. Maybe number 10 themselves could utilize some senior people within each of the organizations or just colleagues who've spoken most about and still get them in a room and say like what while the red line said you what do you reckon oh go on James. i was gonna say talking about just i'm aware that some people listening won't fully understand what these groups actually are because we i think when when we set out on the podcast one of the things i wanted to do is take things that you would read in the telegraph of the times mm. terms and slightly unpack them so on that point about joining the you know one nation group when we talk about the One Nation group, when people read it in the papers in the next few weeks, what what is it? There's a WhatsApp group. You do have meetings and get together, and there's there's a kind of there's a leadership team to a degree. Yes, I wonder if you could just got just a brief explanation of what the group means. So, so I think I mean Jonathan will have experience of this as well. Obviously, mm. sort of when when you're first elected, I think there is a sort of natural sense of where do you where do you fit mm. in? Who do you talk to? What do those groups look like and i think we've never been we've never actively been a sort of recruiting organization you want people to gravitate to where they sit naturally rather than sort of get get your teeth into people because that that wouldn't quite i just don't think that would work um so yeah there's there, there's obviously a, a big whatsapp group there are meetings every week there is uh that there is a steering group although it's not uh it's always emerged by consensus rather than by having elections and and, and that sort of stuff and i think that's uh that that's broadly a good thing that it's it's been consensual but uh obviously it's a big group as i say and you've got to try and make and that does mean that coming out with a strong position on any one thing is something that has to emerge organically and we did see that over rwanda that that i think is a a good thing and and it is uh, it is a happy coincidence that it was to endorse the government uh, position and, and, and hopefully long may that continue. Uh, but I, I think what, what you do see in, in all of that is even within those meetings on a Monday evening, like there there is real debate. There is real, there is real discussion. And sometimes it's, it's sort of dancing on the head of a pin and sometimes it's, it's big proper issues. And on those debates, I mean, not to kind of give away, and I'm sure they're private meetings, but um, just as a kind of an idea for pe people listening. So, you know, you, there'll be a group of MPs, a scheduled time. And is it, is it always, a, do you meet every single week? Is it a kind of, and is it the issue of the day or is it sometimes more general? So it varies in the sense that they are either the issue of the day um, or an invited, usually cabinet minister to okay. talk about. Uh, so similar to the 22. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's sort of, it, we, it's, it's not, not quite the same thing as like we don't uh bob blackman doesn't read out the minutes at the beginning of the meeting but okay. we do uh we do, we, we do it, it, it's a similar kind of thing yeah. and and i think the issue has 
we've always sort of um, varied between do we just want to have a chat and 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 some of that is always assessing the mood some of mm. that is about communicating how the group feels informally to uh, the whips or encouraging people to speak to their own whips or, or, or whatever um, and some of it is a much more sort of uh, have got issue X let's see if we can get the Home Secretary to come or, or whoever mm. and so for instance Immediately before that Rwanda decision that we came to, then we had Victoria Prentice, the, the Attorney General, um, very much she she would identify herself as a, as a One Nation Conservative as, as well, but very much there representing the government to right. the group, and and I think that's a, that's a really healthy thing. We've we've never, I don't think we've ever asked for a meeting with someone and they've uh, said no, so that probably reflects the uh, strength yeah. of the group. So is that and that's is that the same with the new Conservatives, Jonathan? That you'll have because that sounds like quite a good forum for I would imagine having worked in department where you're trying to communicate to to MPs some of the things you're doing where there might be yeah you know, people might be unhappy with some of it or there might just simply be a bit of confusion. It's actually quite good to to have the Secretary of State go and explain that. Does that, does yeah, that happen no, in look, all groups? I guess is the question. I, I mean, look for us in the new Conservatives, Danny and Miriam are the co-chairs because essentially they co-founded. I sort of got there late in the day before we, before we launched and worked with them behind the scenes and but said I didn't want a leadership position. I didn't think we needed deputy chairs and whips, like, exactly like my, Matt, Matt said, because I think that just gets messy and counterproductive. The idea of having Danny Miriam, for example, as co-chairs was that if the media wanted to speak or if we wanted to make representations to government as a group voice, that Danny and Miriam were there for the focal point. But in the meetings, yeah, they are either the issue of the day or just the generic, literally just a temperature gauge of how things are in Parliament. But we've had like Greg Hans when he was party chairman, came along and spoke to the group. Um, we've had others, uh, James, uh, obviously cleverly as Home Secretary, is now invited the group. We obviously had breakfast last week with the Prime Minister uh, in Tendani Street. Was avocado served? There was no avocado. <laughs> no chai lattes? No chai lattes, I could, I could assure you of they that. They know their audience at least. I assume you brought your own chai latte. Exactly. <laughs> so we had, uh, so you know, like that, we, we just discussed and we feed in. I suppose what we've done probably a bit differently to the One Nation Court is we have put out policy papers on individual areas like skills, um, like taxation, uh, like immigration, which is, we've obviously then well publicized and we have literally held press conference about it so um you know and and, and that's how i suppose the, the major difference at this moment in time although i know matt the one nation has had kind of like a conference day to talk mm. about topics i mean what was the how was that was that obviously it was well attended you had a lot of interest yeah i mean, in... I mean and also it's, it's worth saying that sort of we we did make a, a group budget submission for instance so there are there are things that we can all sign up to um but and, and yeah, the working with the Tory Reform Group, the TRG, then there's been a sort of long-standing One Nation Day a, a conference that has it sort of varied in what format it's taken. Sometimes it's a sort of big big speech from cabinet ministers kind of format. Uh, this year's was slightly more panels and discussions, um, and so we had uh, I know people ranging from Timothy to Tom Tugendat to. Uh, me to Luke Trill, sort of from more in common the polling uh, stuff, all, all so, so a, quite a big range, and and all, talking about all the all the things that you would expect. It's sort of what is a what is a one nation take on defence. It's not that different from everyone else's take on 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 defence within the Conservative Party. So I think most of these things are about discussing those ideas and trying to generate things for the future. They're not about saying. 
here we we've read this thing by the new conservatives and we're going to come up with our competing <laughs> yeah, version yeah, it's exactly. like it's, it, it's 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 not about that at all and and i think uh, there are obviously times when you hear people say uh, such and such a thing themselves either as a sort of group or as as an individual that is obviously a leading light within that group and of course you might look at it and think nonsense isn't it uh but, but even in the incredibly rare occasions that that happens uh it's all part of the sort of massive great range of ideas that we see at tory party conference or, or or whatever so i think uh the one nation has a long history of not getting too het up about the occasion surprising ideas that come from the broad range of the conservative and i think it's interesting you said like nick timothy for example there's someone who was uh you know a key player under theresa may wrote the 2017 manifesto Theresa May, who would identify herself very much as a One Nation Conservative, but Nick, you could argue on the issue of immigration, for example, would very much be seen to be on the right of the Conservative Party, the ERG, kind of New Conservatives, about the view on the ECHR. So I think that's evidence there yeah. of the broad church, is it yeah, not, exactly. or that the One Nation is And, and uh, also people encompassed. think of themselves in interesting ways, I think. like they're, they're, And uh, I, I don't want to speak for Nick, but I, I think he, he would... Uh, say obviously there are some issues where he's it comes at it from one perspective and others where he comes at it from another and that doesn't mean that he uh none of us fit neatly into into these buckets <laughs> but you've got to you've got to sort of say well broadly where do i feel at home and some people will inevitably feel at home in all groups or none and you've got to sort of work that out as and you do get. you think that's important matt because for example uh you could look at some cabinet ministers like sajid javid who ran for leader and people would argue that no one really ever fully knew if whether or not Sajid belonged to a particular family. That's no dig at him. That's for some people, they, they feel comfortable that on this issue, they might be more with the One Nationers and yeah, others, they yeah, might be on something yeah. else. Do you think for leadership sort of prospects of the future, for those who want to go forward, they, they do kind of have to, whether they like it or not, kind of relatively figure out where home is in order uh, to have colleagues behind them. Well, where, do, where would you... I'm sorry. Where would Apologies. you put Rishi then? Well, I think, that's an inter so I think that's an interesting question with Rishi because I'll be, I'll be frank and I won't put Matt in the position. I'll say what I think. Like, I think from the chats I've had with Rishi, I personally think he sounds more of a new conservative than he does a one nation because I think he's very strong in the family stuff and agrees a lot with what Miriam says around that agenda. He was a Brexiteer. He's been very robust on the immigration issue. But for me, I would say that I then see other actions that kind of would say that he, with people he surrounds himself with, his sort of natural political friends, that I would say that point that he's more of a one nation conservative, or at least the government that he surrounds himself with is much more one nation conservative. So I'm left, mm. I feel like with Rishi, that's an interesting answer question mm. because I'm not sure where home really lies for Rishi. Because I, I, I think Matt. He, I think he would be an internationalist as well as those things. Yeah, so, I, I, th I mean, I think it's always hard for prime ministers, right? In the mm. sense that they're never going to sit there and say, uh, I, I like this half of the Conservative Party yeah. more than the other. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, but, that would make things better. Yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> he, 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 exactly. But, but, but I think, actually, the real truth of it is that prime ministers almost by definition are the people that have um, feet in... I don't want to say both camps. They have mm. they have feet in several camps. Is that does that work? Does that, <laughs> yeah, um, they are, are spider prime ministers. Um, but I, th I think that sort of sense of covering lots of bases, and that's what allows them to say to people, "Look, you, I, I'm forming a, uh, I, I am the sort of personification of a sensible coalition." I think is is a really powerful thing for voters, and it's in part why we're sort of uh, gradually ending up with a slightly more presidential system. And, yeah, and and, and I think that's. 
that's an immense challenge for all of us because uh, as politics with a sort of small p becomes more divisive, particularly with with first past the post, but just generally, you've got to have political parties that are able to articulate their own uh, range. And you do that through one human being with a really, really hard job. Uh, and, and I think it's partly why there's you end up with sort of different groups trying to compete for the, the PM, whoever the PM is interest. But that's, again, that comes back to there's a free market in ideas, right? And, and and we've got to we've got to win those arguments both within the party sometimes, but much more importantly out there in the country. Yeah, I think um well on on the all is welcome thing, I asked this slightly jokingly, but slightly seriously. <clears throat> I understand that my co host, Jonathan, <laughs> has in the past attended at least one One Nation Conservative Group meeting. And he often gets lost in the Palace of Westminster. Well, well, that's the question. Was <laughs> was he lost, or did he do it on purpose? But, um, I, like, you know, in that vein of there are, you know, I'm sure there are genuinely many things that you know the One Nation yeah. group agrees with that he would agree with, actually. And there's maybe some big differences. But is it the case that someone like Jonathan, who is very much a new conservative, and perhaps I don't think it's unfair to say you would be positioned on the right. Yes. Would would he be welcome in a, in the in the next meeting? So I think, I think on the one hand, like demonstrably, Jonathan was welcome, right? And, and and I think this isn't about this. This shouldn't ever be about saying no. We don't we don't like or we don't. It's it's never a personal thing. It's about simply saying if you've got ideas, you're much more likely to have fruitful conversations if you're broadly sat with people who mm -hmm. uh, agree roughly with where you're coming from. And if and 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 I think in that sort of generation of, of, of those ideas and in those conversations with government. It's not in anyone's interest to sort of get a sort of huge, great group together and say, well, he thinks that and she thinks that and, and therefore uh, th this is where we should go because you're never going to get to a consensus. So, so I think it's more about finding your sort of natural homes and having those conversations. But there's ne I don't think there's anyone where any of these groups should be like, no, 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 you're the same party, but you're not well. Mm. Like we, 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 we all stand on the same ballot on, on a sort of practical. Who do you want? Who do you want to come to a meeting? I think there is the the only thing for me that really gets hard. I guess is how much do you how much do you trust that people are there with with good intent? Yeah, intent. that's fair. That's that's the that's that's the only thing that, that I think potentially. Uh, upsets the balance of a meeting, and, yeah. and we and we have a similar thing where obviously, as, as I said, there are sort of lots of lots of government ministers who, who who are also one nationers, just just as there are for for, for all the other groups. Mm. And I think having ministers in the room for what should be backbench meetings, yeah, it does it changes the tone. And so we have some meetings where we're like everyone is welcome, and others where it's probably in 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 their interest as much as ours for, mm. for them to be separate. And I think I'd almost draw an equivalent distinction between. Are you in the government? Are you a member of a different group? Are you like mm. how how do how do you end up with a meeting that works best for everybody, rather than necessarily sitting there and being like, no, we don't like you. Yeah, I think what I think what Matt's saying is, if you go so to a one nation group, no, to prove that you're there for good intentions, you will have to come with chai lattes for everyone. That would be the bring, demonstration. I bring Damien, bring Damien, Damien, who Damien Green for the listeners, who's sort of seen as the the chair or you know not although i know he doesn't have a form you know form position but it seems the chair of the one nation caucus i need to bring damien some 
yeah. some chai and avocado and we can all get together. I, I think this is the only surefire way of getting all 106 of us to show up to one meeting. Is yeah. if, you're, if you're definitely providing catering, yeah. <laughs> you'll be fine. You can bring the party together. One, one thing I just wanted to slightly unpick as well, which is similar vein to what we discussed, is if the One Nation tradition is perhaps it, it historically would be defined in the last 20 years kind of, or 30 years, I'm feeling older and older. I think we're born in the same year, 81. So last 40 years in, in, in kind of against, against really the kind of Thatcherite free marketeerism. So in crude terms, one of the central tenets was the difference between where people see the role yeah. of the state. So, so I th Is that I, fair? I, I, think, I think the one nation has moved on quite a long way, as has the rest of the party from the sort of wets and the dries. I, yeah. I, I think that's obviously the world's moved on a bit. Um, I think, do you believe in a sort of positive potential power of the state to yes. affect people's lives? I think actually there's much less division within the Tory party about that, is that there are, I think, for instance, there are people who might have a sort of philosophical objection to the sugar tax, but they acknowledge that mm. it works. And, and and I think there are quite a few good examples uh, of that. I think I would say so Labour's dentistry plan today includes supervised brushing of children's teeth at school. Yeah. I think we probably we could probably all maybe not quite go yeah. Go, yeah. go go that far. But but the the principle of uh can does government need to have a role in people's lives. Yes, yes, of course it does. And there's a, there's a spectrum on that. But I think I, I would say, and this is much more for, for myself than the group, I, I would look at what are the things that only government can do. Mm. So so if you take brushing children's teeth, then I'm like, uh, fundamentally, whatever you did at school, it's always going to have much more to do with the parents than it is, to, or, the, or the carers, than it is to do with what, what happens at, at school in some weird designated time even though I, I get that there could obviously be a role for it of course there is um if you look at something like recycling when it's all well and good saying to individuals can you just be nicer about the environment but you have to have the state set up big structures that allows that to happen yeah. and and i think that's sort of th those kind of dividing lines don't feel terribly controversial they don't but the reason i ask is i think essentially in two words is Liz Truss. So I would say that that strain around her, some of the organizations outside the supporter, they hark back more to Thatcherism, I would argue. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what I found interesting. If you read, we've mentioned him already, Nick Timothy, on the Onward paper that he did, yeah. and the New Conservatives. Now on the role of the state, they are not where Liz Truss is. They are much more where the One Nation group is. I was about are. to say this. And that's what I find exactly. quite interesting is that... The New Conservatives would be at odds with the growth group, which is kind of the Trussite group set up in Westminster. Exactly. And I think when we look ahead over the next couple of years, you know, um, ho hopefully we'd win the next election. I mean, the Conservatives, we have diverse listenership. But um, if, as the party goes forward and figures out what it's about, it seems interesting to me that one of those, which has historically been quite a big debate in the party, that actually, that when you look at the new Conservatives and some of the people coming through into Parliament, perhaps bit is not there's a, there's more consensus around that perhaps. And the, is the growth group? Although she won the leadership contest, so the members might be different. I don't, I find that interesting that difference. I mean, yeah, I I think that's absolutely right. But I think it is it is a pretty small seam of of Conservatives that are really hard line mm. sort of uh, don't the state should get out of the way at every possible opportunity. Yeah. Um, 
But there's a big difference between that and saying that the government should get involved in everything. Mm. And, 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 and I think this always is sort of more of a, it's more of a vibe than it is a sort of hard line policy, right? It, yeah. it, and, and you can't sort of say, well, this is, this is how you have a philosophy about it. But but you you do kind of have to have a sense of, of where it is. And I think there are very few conservatives now that think, especially after COVID, that, that think that the politically popular thing to do is for the government to withdraw from every possible aspect of, of people's lives because there is an expectation somewhere in, in the middle. And, and, and that's a... That's a votes argument for it. But I think there's also a right thing to do for people argument mm. for it. And, and getting that balance right is important. I, I, I remember um, uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg during uh, when he was business secretary sort of talking about you should, uh, there were moves to move chocolate away from uh, the till and yeah. and sort of saying that people should uh, be sort of smuggling cream eggs back to where they're supposedly not allowed. And, it's like, and on, on the one hand, it's funny. On the other, I'm not sure there are that many parents that will thank you for the, the chocolate being right by the till in a way that it hasn't been for, for, for a little while now. So I think it's always about getting that balance right. And I sort of philosophically, I want to agree with Jacob. In practice, I sort of think I've got, I've got well, two children, but one of whom will definitely be reaching for the chocolate. And I'm not sure I want to be the person that's made someone's life harder given where we are now. So mm. you've got to sort of You've got, you've got to get that balance right and you've got to bear in mind where we are now and where we've come from rather than being a sort of philosophical purist about it. I think if you look at the 2019 election that Matt and I both stood on, it was very much actually about the state improving public services. And the only real, I think, difference maybe between, for example, the One Nation group and the New Conservatives would be about which tax would you potentially play with in order to improve people's lives how, you know, for example, the chocolate by the till, I don't know what the new conservative line is on that, but I suspect there may be a slight difference on that, but it, it's my new ways. Actually, I think personally, the new conservatives and the growth group would have a much bigger difference yeah, yeah. because new conservatives were all po are post-2016 conservative MPs only who believe that there was a realignment and that realignment in places like Stoke and places like Boston and Skegness, yeah. those areas to uh, move forward, the state has to. Be involved yeah, in regenerating, providing opportunity by helping improve education, by improving access to GP services and NHS so people live longer, healthier lives. Like that is essential for those type of communities. Now, I've, I've openly said you I supported Liz Trust. Yeah, I did support Liz Trust because I, I supported Liz Trust because the person I backed originally was Nadim Zahari, who dropped out. And I've known Nadim for a long time and he mentored me. And I think he's a very good man and would have done a very good job. I looked around at the remaining candidates. So I met with every single one of them prior to making my decision. And there were some candidates I felt like it wasn't clear to me what their vision was. And so I felt I was backing something I was unsure of. With Rishi, I liked what he said in education. I, again, I suppose I just didn't really know where he belonged. And that made me mm -hmm. kind of nervous as a person. Whereas in Liz, Liz gave me, and I like a sense of, clear direction and yeah. clear travel. That's how I've always liked leaders, whether it's in schools I've worked under or here in parliament. And Liz was therefore the one that I was like happy with. But on reflection, having looked back in that time and really thought about it. And before I approached Danny and Miriam, as you know, James, you know, in privately in the summer of 23, um, or the spring, actually, sorry, I was thinking for a long time, where, what is my conservatism? I think I would have been a hardcore trussite as it now would be termed coming into parliament. I think serving the constituency I serve, thinking about the manifesto we ran on and particularly seeing what's happened with COVID and the cost of living, I think I have, I've significantly moved to a point where actually I've 
the reason of a new conservatism is because I think the state has a really important role. It's about how the state intervenes and how the state supports is where I now would like to debate rather than should the state yeah. intervene and should it be involved. And I think that's where I've been on that political journey within here in Westminster. And it's, it was a shock to me to go on that, really. I, was, I thought I was quite firm. In my if, if your politics moved at all, Matt, since you've become an MP, do you say anything you've seen? Yeah. Or... Uh, so, so I think I've, I was always on the the pragmatic end rather, rather than as, so as as Jonathan sort of says, everyone likes the idea of a strong leader that's going places. You can't be a strong leader that's going relentlessly in one direction, even when everything is telling you that that is now the wrong direction to be going in. Um, but, but I think I, I'm really conscious. So mine is a, is a coastal constituency, lots of deprivation, lots in common with uh, some of the red wall seats, as, as Jonathan sort of said a minute ago. Uh, I think what I've, what I've been really conscious of is that there are things that the state has to do that is uniquely tailored to some of those places. And, and, and it's why it's why you've got um, the chief medical officer, for, um, for instance, sort of saying we need, we need a, a, he hasn't quite called it a manifesto, but we need a manifesto for coastal communities. We need a manifesto for, the, for older people. Um, I think I, I'm also really conscious that, uh, how in an in an area like mine, how women interact with the state is is kind of different, and and it's a statement of the obvious, but sometimes it gets forgotten. I mean, it's why some of the childcare policies are, are so important, but we shouldn't assume they only affect women and 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 all that. So I just think there's lots there's lots of things where I have probably been on a similar journey to to Jonathan, even if I started in a slightly in in a place that's slightly closer. I, I think the other thing that I've I think we all it, we all, we all go through the closer you get to any kind of government job is realizing that that sort of fantasy that the government has got these really powerful levers that mm. are directly connected yeah. to this thing yeah it, it just it just isn't true and, and, mm. and broadly that coalition building and consensus and and policy making through consensus is a really good thing but it is slow and you get to good you get to good ideas by trying to find a balance between what's the right pace uh, and I, I remember when I was first appointed to DCMS, for instance, then I had really strong ideas on this is the policy I thought would get us the, the fastest broadband rollout we could. And that was the job I was broadly appointed to. It's basically a year to the day from me saying I want to see something like this implemented to us be beginning to seriously implement it. Mm. And I was like, in, in, in my head, I was almost like, I've got the back of an envelope version like right here, all, almost literally. And I've been writing about it for ages, and I know there's lots of and, and the government process of, of turning that into reality was basically a year. And I, I sort of, I, I look back on it and think, I know that I was pushing every day for like, can we go faster? Can we go faster? When can we get the first contract signed? Da 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 da. Um, and could we have gone faster? Maybe, but only by. Uh, breaking some of the the existing systems and, and and in some ways that and we ended up with and this is this is not solely down to me by any means we ended up with the fastest broadband rollout program anywhere in the world for an, for an equivalent country that's that's a huge tribute to the private sector which basically did all of it um but it's those things where we did that by operating within the rule not by saying look let's to hell with public procurement or or whatever and it's and it sort of come. I think that kind of shapes your view. When I then look at the the Rwanda legislation, I sort of think, look, we can do this. We can make this work without throwing the baby out with the bathwater. 
and and it's tempting to say we have to, but I think we can get through it. And I, and I base that on experience and pragmatism, which is a bit of a shift in my politics, but it's not a huge one. Mm. Someone once said to me who went into number 10, I think it was under Theresa May, they said, uh, it's not that I can't work out which levers to use. It's that I can't find the room with the levers in it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think there's a, you know, I t- totally get your point on it. it, it things, things do often, but I think people don't understand that politicians do push every day and ministers do push every day and, be, and it can be quite difficult. I mean, looking ahead on the, on the One Nation group, not specifically on the immigration to- topic, do you think, as we talked about earlier, some of the other groups are perhaps a bit more muscular for, you know, want of a better word. Do you think the One Nation group will evolve? Obviously, it's played a role in leadership contests yeah. before. We may have one in the you know, next 18 months. Is it? Do you think it will change at all looking ahead in the future? So, so, so I, th- I think the immigration stuff is a real marker in the okay. sense of people wanting to be seen, wanting the group to be seen to be more muscular mm. and also wanting to uh, genuinely have an impact on the government that perhaps it hadn't had in the past and and in order to have that impact you have to know that you're going to stand up rather than roll over yeah and 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 i think that is historically something that everyone has associated with the erg and brexit and 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 all of that now what happened in the end uh we got there by an incredibly painful route but what happened in the end with brexit was people did compromise people did get to a position where uh no, no one, no one thinks the Brexit deal is absolutely perfect. They probably think it was genuinely the the best available in the circumstances, or, or, or all of that stuff. Um, I, I think uh, the groups like the One Nation on on the left of the party, whether whether it's the TRG, whether it's whatever, even though we all hate the sort of left right thing, yeah. like you, it's, it's an easy shorthand. I think you are going to see them start to think right. What does on two things? One, what does standing up for those values look like in the way that other people have and i think a counterweight is is a fair thing like if 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 no one if no one was doing it then you wouldn't have to kind of thing but keeping keeping the balance right is important but also and in some ways it's the most important thing is that i'm in large part i want to be involved in the one nation because i think those ideas are politically popular and 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 I don't want to trace it purely back to David Cameron and twenty ten and fifteen and twenty fifteen. But if you look at those sorts of ideas, they won elections in a, in a way that only Boris has managed to do. And and that Brexit election was a unique and special set of circumstances. So I think the the group that is the numerical and political central gravity within the Tory Party is is where we are because it's politically popular. And and I think we've got to make that case that says this isn't a sort of dry philosophical who's where. It's about saying we genuinely think that this kind of a package of 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 policies that that you would think of as as a one nation thing, that's where you win elections. You win elections from the centre ground in the United Kingdom, and it's fundamentally, I think, wishful thinking to say. A, a strong leader that has a dogmatic approach that is on one edge of one political party is going to somehow, from further over position, drag everyone in behind. And 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 the alternative to winning elections from the centre is losing elections from the centre to a Labour Party and, and to Keir Starmer. And, and I think the staff is if you start to interrogate that, if you start to scratch the surface, that's really dangerous. It's, it's, this, is a, this is an election that really matters. It will be an election that really matters. And I think uh, 
on the one hand, the conservative family has a duty to come together in the national interest. Of course we do. But I think you also will see people say, look, those moderate centrist uh, kind of views are historically politically immensely successful and we shouldn't lose sight of them. I think the conservative, I think someone who would, you know, is in a different group, I think it's good to hear that so the, there is a feeling within the One Nation caucus that they would want to maybe be more robust because I think actually what we're just keen for is good quality debate. Mm. And I suddenly fell in love with politics because I would watch the old YouTube videos where early into the hours of the morning, people were debating and they're having longer speeches than the three minute ones that we seem to be yeah. seeing all too often now. But that way you got into the depths of the debate and the idea and the philosophy in some cases. But it also meant that because you're having those wider debates, longer debates, you're actually showing the more commonality and therefore the minor differences. And I think that would therefore lead to a healthier discussion. But because we live in a world with sound bites, uh, particularly in a 24 hour news cycle, you know, social media, where we're all guilty of putting a 30 second, 40 second clip up on our social media as well with the, for the public, that we've kind of lost that ability to have hash out a discussion, yeah. a debate and find all the things that we agree on and quickly bank those and then go, right, how, where, where's yeah. that, where's that bit there where we can both go away with something that we're comfortable yeah. with. I think that that's been lost sadly, in my opinion. I think partly COVID didn't help because we were literally not in this building and therefore we weren't interacting with each other. Therefore, I think relationships were harder to form across the parliamentary party, but yeah. also across the different generations of the Conservative Parliamentary Party because you weren't hanging out in the tea rooms maybe mm -hmm. as much as you did before. And therefore, probably maybe people did get, I'm, I'm as guilty as anyone, of getting stuck into a sort of dogmatic mindset about like, I'm over here and this is where I'm going to yeah. be. And if they're not with me, they're against me type of thing, which I think is unhealthy, as Matt says, going into an election particularly for the Conservative Party, and particularly when we've only got to look back at 2019 the Labour Party led by Jeremy Corbyn, where it was easily argued there that there was two or three different parties within that party yeah. fighting one another. Yeah. And, and I think one of the things that's really worrying about a uh, Labour Party that has ostensibly come together under Keir Starmer, the message discipline is massively different from what it was. We all know that in reality, Richard Bergen has incredibly different views from <laughs> Keir Starmer, from others. Um, and those that that's genuine division over matters of sort of fundamental ideology is not going to be good for government. And 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 I think the, the Tory Party has a duty to keep pointing that stuff out and to say that the this is this is a Labour Party that is it, it's very different from Tony Blair's Labour. And I, I wasn't a big fan of that either. But 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 I think you've sort of got the you. It's a slightly lazy characterization, but. If he was a social democrat, Keir Starmer is a proper socialist kind of thing. And, and, and I think we've got to keep pointing out that those failed ideas are, do not deserve to be in government in, in the UK. And I think the Conservative Party can do better. Out of interest, last one for me, before James maybe has one more, but looking forward to the manifesto, I'm assuming that's something that yeah. you guys as a caucus would like to influence. What type of policies, not don't have to go into specifics, what type of things would you like or hope to see in a manifesto for the electorate at the next election? Well, I think, uh, I mean, obviously, I, d I don't want to speak for the whole group. Of course, but I sorry. I think things like, uh, things that we really welcomed previously, things like the childcare policy, things like that that really do acknowledge where are people getting hit in the pockets and, and where is it holding back uh, growth, where is it holding back productivity, th those sorts of things um, are, are really important. I think the other side of it, is actually trying to say, look, there are 
there are some really important issues around uh, gender, around uh, a whole host of sort of what gets lumped under the sort of culture wars bracket. Um, and I think it's about saying that some of that stuff is is important and it's politically uh, right that we talk about it and it's also politically salient in, in polling terms. Like you, you, you can't pretend that this stuff doesn't exist and, and people are right to ask sort of whose side are you on. But I think to do that in a way that is tonally something that doesn't make people think you're either with us or against us. And, and, and I think that is uh, as much as the policy, it's the tone that, that you're going to see uh, groups like the One Nation focus on. Oh, I, on, the, on that strain, final question is, as we look, we're going to have an election in 12 months. And I suppose, as you see it now, do you think the party is able to bring together a winning coalition, a voting coalition? And, and, what, and what, what are the things they need to do over the next 12, six to 12 months, depends on what it is, to do that? I guess, is, there, is that, are the, are the policies in the right place? No, I, th I think we absolutely can. And I think whether you look at the fact that we, uh, there was all the frothy reporting around the, the immigration debate and, and and the PM won by sort of 40 something like that is that is a really powerful signal of can the party come together um, I think what we do need to do though is both demonstrate that we're succeeding in in, in those whether you th think of it through the five pledges that the PM has talked about also uh, we've really got to get that message out there because that's what demonstrates that you've got a track record that deserves to be built on and I think uh, no one pretends that in 13 years there are not plenty of things that people can sort of hold against you. Of course there are. But you really have got to say, look, there is there is a real record of success here. The comms around that needs to get that message over. And to say, on one level, there's a, there's a genuinely bright future with this package of policies. And for heaven's sake, be careful what you wish for. I mean, look, look at what we're seeing from the other side. I think there's a lot to... There's that, that sort of package of here are the policies, here is the risk of the alternative, and here is a genuine opportunity to build on success. I think that is can be a really compelling package if we get it right. Well, look, thank you so much, Matt, for take, giving us your time, for talking us through. Uh, for those who are listening, you know where now to go if you want to hear. And you've seen Matt. Matt is now being posted a lot, I see, on the One Nation stuff as the, a senior One Nation member. So future leader, maybe, of the One Nation caucus. Steady if, on, uh, steady on. Steady on, I know. I'm not, not, not trying to usurp Damien anytime soon. But uh, look, sounds big, like a coup. Sounds like a coup, doesn't it? Sounds like a coup. I'm joking. Sorry, Matt. I thought you were in that awkward spot now. But uh, look, a big thank Very you for coming on. Really appreciated Pleasure. it. And of course, for all of you listening, thank you for tuning in again. Please make sure you hit that subscribe button, however it is that you listen to your podcast. Please make sure you leave us a rating and a review to tell us what you think of this episode or all the episodes. And you can follow us, as you remember, on X, formerly known as Twitter, at Whitehall Pod UK. Thank you. Thank you.